before I read Psalm 46, um, I'm going to leave it so I don't kick it. I'm going to take a chance over the next couple of weeks. I am going to um, I'm going to preach on this, so that you know up ahead there's going to be a couple of hearing God is fundamental to who we are, that we know with clarity how to hear God's voice in all the variety of ways it comes to us. Now, this book has been published just recently. It is exceptional. And I'm not going to take each chapter and condense it and give it back to you on a Sunday morning. That would be like regurgitation. But what I am going to do is I'm going to make a suggestion. You can get this for £10. You can get it on Audible. Each week, I will be taking a chapter. So we will look at Jesus next week, and the week after that, we will look at the Word of God. Specifically, how we hear God's purpose for our lives and what it means in terms of hearing God. He has a, he has a gift of clarity, this man. And he, his book on prayer and this book, I would say, are fundamental to anyone who wants to grow up into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I'm making a strong suggestion that you purchase this in some way or another, and that where you can, you read through it. The chapters are not onerously long, um, and you can easily make through, even if you just sit, uh, if you put this in the little house, in the room, and, and read it when you're there. It will, you will get through it easily in a week, and it is worth it. So I will be doing that in the next weeks. So... What's the name of the book? It's called How to Hear God. How to Hear God. And it's a deep breath. It's a wonderful place. Psalm 46 is the song you probably know, and I quote often in various different contexts, but I'm going to read the whole song. And I'd like to also read. Uh, Luke 9, I'm going to read the last few verses of Luke 9, and then, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, or abundantly available to help in tight places, as the message puts it. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though waters roar and foam, though mountains quake and surge. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, see the works of the Lord, what he has done in the desolations of the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks bows and cuts spears in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, cease striving, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. In the context of our 
time and society, it's a very pertinent um, psalm. And then Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, this is to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Allow me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You may know this poem. William Butler Yeats. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falcon. Things fall apart. The centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed on the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and so it goes on. One of the most famous books in African literature is Chinua Achebe's book, Things Fall Apart. And, and, and the premise is that, that the centre is not holding. And it's become an iconic thing. This, written by Yeats, called The Second Coming, has been iconic in a sense of trying to make sense of what happens when the center doesn't hold. Uh, Marnie was just saying, we were talking about it earlier, that the Queen, apparently, this is according to the BBC commentators, so that must be authoritative, um, really wanted to see the Second Coming so that she could lay her crown at the feet of Jesus, which is quite something, just as an aside. But the, the truth is that there is a sense that the center is not holding. Whether you're looking at economics or politics or social fabric, the, the, the stuff that holds us together is now flying off in all sorts of different directions. And whether you talk about war or pandemic, and I'm not this morning looking at all the the stuff that's going on in the world. Economic crisis. We are aware, all of us, of how fragile the world is and how fragile life is. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Except this. As things change in the world, as people are gripped with uh, uncertainty and anxiety, whether it's any one of those things that I've mentioned or a multitude of others, here's the thing about you and I. We have a center which is absolutely sure. And I think at this time, and I really have a sense of this as being a, a moment, not, not because it's a, a changing of the God or anything like that, but I do think that this whole period, I'm not just talking about 
Thursday uh, and what happened, I'm talking about this period of history where there has been so much that has happened so, so rapidly that we are punch drunk with what's going on. We have a real sense of being anchored in something. And when the Queen says that Jesus was the anchor of her life, what she was saying is what we're saying now is that he is the core, he is the center of absolutely everything that makes sense. I've often said, I don't know if I've said it to you guys, but I've often said that even if there wasn't heaven, it makes absolute sense to live the way that Jesus told us to live. Because it's the only way I can see that makes for a world of love and compassion and kindness and peace and so on. Everything else is, 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 is infused with violence. We need to reaffirm our center. We need to again settle for ourselves. And I'm not, this is not, I'm not, I'm not, um, what's the word I want? I'm not pointing a finger at anyone because I've had a, a, a period of real deep reflection over the last couple of weeks as I've had time to just catch up with myself. What is it that we stand for? Who is it that we actually uh, give allegiance to? How do we shape our lives? What is it that is the center, core issue for us? And I think as things change, we must resist the pull of everything else and resist the kind of anxiety and fear that is everywhere around us. That's why the church is such an amazing thing, because we have the capacity to care for one another and to hold one another's arms up when we are tired. The center for us must always be Jesus. He is the anchor. And I, I have a book on my shelf that is um, a look at Reformed theology. That's not the point. It's got the most brilliant title. It's called Ancient Future Faith. And in a sense, we are pivotal in this holding together what is ancient and what is true and what is uh, the best of everything that was. But we are also a future people. And one of my favorite theologians is actually a, a sociologist who's a philosopher, Jacques Ellul. He's a Frenchman, very prolific Christian theologian. And um, he said that, and I'm going to quote, he says, um, we are bearers of the eschaton. We, we are, eschatos means the end. We are bearers of what has already happened. Hmm. What we are, we, we are uh, God's future people living in the present. That's how he put it. We are God's future people living in the present. And there is a sense in which we are looking to the future and saying, that's what we want. I was this morning going to look at uh, Revelation 21 and 22 and say, what kind of church do we want to be? But I think that we can, we can look at that another time. It's about who do we want to be as individuals? What kind of people are we? <coughs> who is at the center of who we are? And Hebrews writes this, writes it to Hebrews in chapter 12. We always quote the beginning of the chapter. 
Here's the last bit of the chapter. I'll just, I'll just run in from verse 25 because it doesn't make sense, but it catches me to where I want to be. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him to be warned, who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth when, sorry, his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of all those things which can be shaken, as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And he's saying, I think, to us, if we read this for ourselves, is that when things get shaken, it's not a bad thing. Because what he's saying is that when those things that are shaken are shaken, it means that they won't remain. When you are shaken, what remains? Who are you when all the trappings fall off? When you haven't got all the stuff that is um, excessive, if you like, to yourself. Yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. It's the same thing that Paul says to the Corinthians. You know, there's going to be a refining. The wheat, hay, and the stubble will all get burnt away, and what will be left is silver, gold, and precious stones. What is at the heart of who you are? Who is your center? What is your center? Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, those are the es that's the essence of who we are. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So he says the, the kingdom stuff ends up in gratitude and service and worship. And he's saying we have a promise. This isn't just something that might happen. This isn't just something that perhaps one day will come to pass. We know already that it's accomplished because Jesus, as we sang, has accomplished it on the cross. The future is already present. It's as if one, one of my favorite authors says that God throws an anchor from the future that we can hold on to. And he pulls us into the future. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, we are new creatures. We're a new creation. But we can't do it on our own. Oh, here it is. Sorry. We can't, we can't do it on our own. Um, my family's messaging me. I'm trying to get... There we go. So here's one of my favorite authors and one of my favorite books. C.S. Lewis writes in, in Mere Christianity. These are two quotes, and they, they're a little bit lengthy, but listen carefully. I cannot, by direct moral effort, give myself new motives. After the first few steps in the Christian life, we realize that everything which really needs to be done in our souls can only be done by God. And the fundamental thing is that this is not about me trying to pump myself up to be better than I was yesterday. 
It's about me stepping back and resting in God. He says further on, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try and carry them out. As a man may read what Plato or Marx said and try to carry that out. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, this is the crux of it, they mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you, and still as much of God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing, into a little, a new little Christ, and being a being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God, which shares in his power, his joy, his knowledge, and in eternity. C.S. Lewis is trying to say that this is something that God actually accomplishes in us. And I don't try and remember the quote, but the feel of the quote, the essence of it is that we are new creatures, but not because we did anything. It's grace that God actually in his presence changes us when we come into his presence. And let's go back to Psalm 46, I think, maybe at this point. Yeah. The, the second imperative that comes in the song, there's so much to be read here, but it says, Be still and know that I am God. Cease striving. Stop. Stop for a moment. Become aware. There's so much being written and touted at the moment about having tech-free days and all that sort of stuff. We are so crowded with everything. And the other day, I looked at my phone at the beginning of the week and courtesy of someone at Apple, they sent me how many hours I'd been on my phone each day for the past week. And I phoned them and said, that can't be true. No, I didn't. Point is, I looked at that and I was shocked. And I, yes, I do my e emails and I do this and I do... But you know what I, I realized? I was doing my reading and I was praying, I was doing everything with my phone in my hand. And Lectio 365 is a brilliant prayer. And I have the lectionary readings come through on my phone each day. It's brilliant. But I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I went and I sat with this old Bible that I had and I opened it and I just started to talk between him and I. Unless we stop, unless we are still, unless we dial down, it's like the old American Indian proverb that says, you cannot see your reflection in running water. Unless we are still, we can't, uh, God doesn't reflect himself to us. Be still and know. And that knowing is the word that is used with Adam and Eve 
it's, it's got a really powerful sexual meaning. Same with Joseph and Mary, that he didn't know her. And it's not just that it's a nice, it's a, a powerful metaphor of the fact that when we take time for intimacy with God, when we step back and we allow God to penetrate our lives in that way, where there's intimacy and vulnerability and trust, and you take time to be still with God, something happens and there is a new thing that is birthed, a creation that happens. There's a new creature that takes place. And I think God has called, you know, like Esther, He's called me for such a time as this. And He's called Marnie and Tiffany and Derek, all of us, for such a time as this. He's not made a mistake. We are where we are because He planned it. And I believe that in this country, we are going to be incredibly important. You and I, this room, this little church, we are going to be like yeast. And I believe that not just in terms of evangelism, I, could, I, I believe that in terms of issues of reconciliation and justice, eco-issues, all those things. We'll come to those as we go through the weeks coming. But the point is, God didn't make a mistake. And we need to just stop and open ourselves again and recenter so that things don't fly apart. Everything goes wrong when Jesus is not at the center of who you are. Last weekend, it, it was a, a great joy to be with those guys. And they made a commitment of their vows again in Portugal. And it was, it was part of prep, prep for that and part of what I've been going through in my own life in terms of being, I felt being restored over the last three, three or four weeks. And then again, as this came on Thursday, this whole thing of, of what has been front and center in terms of the Queen in her life, where at a young age, a very young age, she made a commitment, she made a vow to serve this country with the help of God. And I, I have been going through, I have a, a, a personal, I don't like to talk too much about myself, but I have a personal regular, R-E-G-U-L-A, a thing that I have written out that I commit to and I constantly fail. I'm, I'm really quite bad at it. But it is a thing that I vow before God to continue to do, that I will do these things and be this kind of person. And I have come back to, I've written it out again, and I'm, I'm looking at it each day and saying, if, if a little old lady can do it, with the weight of all the stuff that she had, Lord, I can, because we have the same source. Jesus is my center. I've sung it today. I've acknowledged it again. He gives me his spirit to live in power. 
And when I stop for a moment and I'm intimate with him, he gives me the grace to, to, to be recreated in fresh ways. I'm asking you to stop for a moment and to consider, maybe through this next week, what it is that you give your life to. What is at the center of your life? We, we want to be eccentric, in a sense. We don't want to be the center of our lives. We talk about <coughs> egocentric people. We want to be something different. We want to acknowledge Jesus as our center point, our plumb line. And I was just thinking about and then they, one of the Olympians came on and they said they were coming down to London to lay flowers at Buckingham Palace. And I thought, actually, you know what? There's a good example. Because when you decide you want to have an Olympic gold, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just something that you think, man, that would be a good idea. Should I have it in shooting or horse riding? It makes a difference. Because it makes a difference to the way that you then live the rest of your life in pursuit of that goal. Because when you decide that you're going to be the fastest 100-meter freestyle swimmer in the world, everything changes. Your whole life then is centered on that single thing. And you eat, you sleep, your relationships, absolutely everything is dictated by that single thing. I am so easily def deflected. I know what I want. I want to be single-minded about following Jesus. I want, I want Jesus as the plumb line of my life. I want to look like he looked. I want to speak like he spoke. I want to, I want to, have, I want to be the same kind of thing that when I walk in the room, people say, whoa. Not because I want to feel good, but because I want to, I want to be the bearer of good news. And I mess up all the time, Oscar. But my whole life is shaped around that goal. It should be. I'm just saying. This is, not, uh, this is not to lay a heavy on anybody. It's to say, if we truly believe what we believe, guys, then it shapes the way we exist. We need to reevaluate. And that's when it comes down to that last passage that I read, the uh, the Luke passage, Luke nine. Someone says, "Hey, I'll follow you," to Jesus, and he says, "Oh, yeah, foxes have holes. I have nowhere to lay my head. You sure you want to follow me?" The other guy says, um, "He says to someone, follow me." And the guy says, oh, I could have buried my dad. And he says, let the dead bury their dead. What's that mean? Another one says, I will follow you. And the Lord, but let me go and say goodbye to my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and let's have a party. I'll, I'll catch up with you. And Jesus essentially is saying to these people, no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. 
You have to be single-minded. You have to be looking forward. You have to be willing to take what it is, blisters on the hands, sun on your back, to keep moving forward. But if you have this goal of being like Jesus, of being recreated as a new creature, what's interesting about that is that the, the oft-quoted, I've quoted so many times, Luke 10. Luke 10, where it says, Now after this, he appointed 70 others and sent them out. After he said these things. And I think that God is saying to us as a people, this is what I've got for you in store. This, this, is, this will take everything you have, but this is worth it. The, the end of Ephesians 1 is amazing when, it's come, when it comes in the message. I've read this to you guys so many times now. It says this. Where are we? Here we are. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. I'm just saying, guys, what a moment to be a follower of Jesus. The church is right at the, at the heart of everything that's going on. Look what one little old lady did. Look at how we are talking about something that happened over a period of 70 years of serving. It didn't happen in the first week or the second week or the tenth year. It's the whole thing. And I think God is calling us to put our hands to the power to organize our lives around the things that matter in terms of the kingdom, to put Christ central, and we will see stuff that we couldn't even begin to do. And so I'm going to, we're not going to do any singing. We've already sung that stuff. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just, I am asking you to do something, of course, but not now. You know, the old sort of service, if you want to follow Jesus, um, I am saying that, but I'm saying you need to consider it. Because it's the same as the old parable that Jesus told about if someone wants to build a tower, you first consider what you have to do before you don't go halfway and everyone looks at you and says, look, he couldn't finish. I have an incredible sense of what God can do through us. Through you, through me. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I would like to ask you, to spend the week reflecting on how you make your vow to God to make Him central in your life and how you continue to live with Him.